0: Well, in uh, in 2007, there was a social experiment filmed, and it went viral. I'm sure some of you are familiar with it, and I believe it's one of the best parables that we have for the book of Proverbs. Here, here's what happened. Uh, a man named Joshua Bell went busking in a Washington, D.C. Uh, public area. So busking is just the, uh, the means to play music in a public space for voluntary donations, right? But the thing is, Joshua Bell is one of the world's greatest violin players. I mean, people pay hundreds of dollars and pack out concert halls to hear him play. And so the question was, the experiment was, will anyone stop to listen? Will anyone pay attention to the beauty and the skill before them? Or will they just pass it by? Well, Bell played for about 45 minutes and out of around 1,100 people who walked by, 27 gave money. And only seven actually stop to listen for a while. Similarly, the book of Proverbs invites us to listen. Wisdom herself stands in public calling out. But the question is: will you listen and pay attention? Or will you pass it by? Listening is more than hearing. It's it's paying attention to what you are hearing and doing the work to understand. It's one of the most important skills that we need in this life each of us know the feeling of not being heard right friends or spouses who are just thinking of their own response rather than listening to you or parents as your voice incrementally increases as your children refuse to pay attention so as we return this week to proverbs we once again return to the command to listen to pay attention to wisdom what is wisdom We've talked about wisdom as the ability to live well in God's world. In other words, we pay attention to wisdom so that we might have life. Today, we return to Proverbs 4, Proverbs chapter 4, to hear three different lessons about getting wisdom that we need to listen to today. Each lesson starts with this call for the Son to hear or to pay attention. And each of these three lessons are going to tell us something about getting wisdom. Lessons we need to hear and pay attention to if we're going to have the life that wisdom offers. If you'll go ahead and turn to chapter 4 in Proverbs in your Bible, I'll read just the first nine verses right now that outline the first lesson in Proverbs 4, and we'll read the rest as we get to them. But if you are able, will you please stand for the reading of God's Word in Proverbs 4. Proverbs 4, hear, O sons, a father's instruction, and be attentive that you may gain insight. For I give you good precepts. Do not forsake my teaching. When I was a son with my father, tender the only one in the sight of my mother, he taught me and said to me, let your heart hold fast my words, keep my commandments and live. Get wisdom, get insight. Do not forget and do not turn away from the words of my mouth. Do not forsake her and she will keep you. Love her and she will guard you. The beginning of wisdom is this, get wisdom, and whatever you get, get insight. Prize her highly, and she will exalt you. She will honor you if you embrace her. She will place on your head a graceful garland. She will bestow on you a beautiful crown. This is the word of the Lord. Please be seated. Here we find the first lesson, a lesson on the choice of wisdom. These first nine verses. Notice the repeated command. You guys even even chuckled. In verses five through seven, we're repeatedly told to what? Get wisdom. And the synonym, get insight. The same same general idea. In fact, we are told that the beginning of wisdom is to get wisdom. <laughs> What's going on here? I, I think you know, you know. There's a scene in a lot of movies, uh, whether it's like in a school setting or maybe a training program, and they say, you know, look to your left, look to your right. One of you won't be here by the end of the year. Okay? And, then, and then they follow it up with something like, those who succeed are those who want it, who will give everything for it. That's, that's the idea here. At the very beginning, wisdom is a choice. And you have to want it. The question for each of us, though, is do you want it? And will you pay for it? Because wisdom's costly. I mean, the language here of get, uh, it's actually, the the, the Hebrew idea is really to pay, to purchase something. I mean, every time you say, pay for wisdom, that's what it says. Purchase wisdom. Because wisdom's costly. In verse 7, the grandfather makes this clear. Whatever you get, get insight. And in this case, I, I actually prefer the NIV 85 translation, which says, Though it cost all you have, get understanding. I mean, it makes the big idea clearer. Wisdom might cost you everything, but it's worth it. The question for us is: Are you willing to pay it? I mean, the imagery is is actually that of a dowry price. As he goes through and talking about uh, wisdom, loving her and guarding her, prizing her, it's it's of a it's of paying a dowry price, which is the price you would pay. For the honor to marry, to marry someone. Wisdom will be costly. In fact, as we'll see, she'll cost your very heart. But in gaining wisdom, you also find security and honor. All the benefits that we've that we discussed before in chapters 1 and 2. But here's the big point about the choice of wisdom. You have to want wisdom to get wisdom. That's what the Father's trying to communicate. You've got to want wisdom to get wisdom. Wisdom isn't only for the intelligent or the fortunate. It's for those who want it, who are willing to pay the price. And Jesus puts it like this. The kingdom of heaven is like a merchant in search of fine pearls, who, on finding one pearl of great value, went and sold all he had and bought it. Would you sell all you have to buy it? Are you willing to make that choice it's a pretty quick lesson and before we move on to the next lesson i want to spend a couple moments on the unique way that this lesson starts i mean notice verse three and four the father instructs the son by telling him what he learned from his father when he was a boy and that means that the whole lesson is actually from the grandfather and it's just like a grandfather to say the beginning of wisdom is get wisdom right at least for mine he says, "Look, my words are good because I was once in the same position you are. I had to make a choice about following wisdom. And my dad gave me the same words that I'm giving to you today." Have you have you had that experience? Parents passing down the wisdom that they learned from their parents? I had these moments. Some were profound, like this like this little nugget of wisdom that my uh, mom told me she learned from her dad. You can pick your friends, And you can pick your nose, but you can't pick your friend's nose. You're going to want to hold that close to your heart. Keep those words, right? I'm sure you've had moments like this, parents passing down wisdom. Because what we find in chapter 4 is an invitation to a tradition of wisdom. And we need to recognize this teaching model, because the Bible's full of it. I mean, from the commands in Deuteronomy 6, to speak the faith to your kids... So the description of Timothy's faith passed down from his grandmother to his mother, now to him. We use a lot of different words to describe this, right? Well, tradition is one, right? The act of previous generations passing down something of their own. We might call this mentoring. Within the family, we just call it parenting. The thing is, those who have walked this path of wisdom have something to teach us that we don't know those who've walked the path of wisdom have something to teach us that we don't know now i know many of you are thinking because i think this just because someone's older or has passed on doesn't mean they're wise right throughout high school i uh, worked for a, a local farmer he was actually the my, my dad worked for the same farmer when he was a kid and so when i was in high school i got to work for him as well and every other farmhand that he employed was, um, was retired they'd seen a few years. But, you know, half the wisdom that they tried to pass on to me, I I can't repeat in this setting. (laughs) I I learned a lot of great stuff. I I learned a lot of good things, a lot of wisdom, but a lot of unwisdom as well. Just because someone's older doesn't mean they are wise. It's why we must always be going back to the Word, the ultimate source of wisdom, and know that those who are most wise... Those who are most wise are the ones who pass down this wisdom to us. But all too often, our inclination is to disregard the lessons of those who've gone before us. I mean, have you ever gone back to your parents and and admitted they were right, that you should have listened? Maybe you thought it, but you didn't say it. The problem is we we think we know better or have progressed further. When sometimes the only way to move forward is is to remember. Chesterton has this uh, often quoted quote uh, that I think encapsulates this. It says, he writes, Tradition means giving votes to the most obscure of all classes, our ancestors. It's the democracy of the dead. Tradition refuses to submit to the small and arrogant oligarchy of those who merely happen to be walking about. Tradition asks us not to neglect the, to neglect the good man's opinion, even if he is our father. Friends, think about, think about what we have to gain from our traditions and the mentors in the faith who've gone before us. Looking all the way, Augustine, who taught us to rightly order our our, our loves toward God. Martin Luther, who implored us on the importance of grace. Pastor Schumacher, who in 1950 founded this church that we call home. My own father and grandfather, who taught me to work heartily as unto the Lord. Who are you learning wisdom from? Take notice of what's being passed on. Now, how do we how do we inhabit this paradigm? How do we do this? A lot, I I want to say a lot on this. Before quick thoughts, first and foremost, read the word. All wisdom flows from it and is judged against it. It itself is the tradition handed down to us by those who have passed but made alive by the Spirit. Next, next thought. Parents, remember, this is your role. Did you know that? (laughs) As a church, we believe that you are the primary disciple makers in your home. And our role as a church family is to come alongside you to help lead them in wisdom to know god and to know how to live in his good world so parents you first of all you need to believe that part of your role is to pass on wisdom that they might know the lord and know how to live in his world so whatever else you're doing as a parent i'm sure it's good but know that this is a part of your role and live into it all right third third thought invite others out to breakfast or lunch or coffee or whatever specifically to learn from them this goes for all ages we can talk about mentoring, but let's not worry about trying to find people to go steady with. Let's just, let's just talk about just inviting someone out to learn from them. Just say, I'd love to grab lunch and learn from you. For any age, because no matter what life stage you're in, you are meant to learn, to grow in this path of wisdom. And, and maybe on the other side of that, maybe you call it like 3A. Be willing to pass it on not only to go seek people, but be willing to pass it on. Each of us have a responsibility, no matter what age, to pass on what we've learned. And specifically, what we've learned in the Lord. And then fourth, and and simply read old books, right? This is Lewis's advice, and it's one of the best ways to learn from the past. So we need to... We need to consider who we're learning from, and pursue that. Now, w- w- once we once we choose wisdom, once we see that we've got to we've got to choose wisdom if we want it, and to learn from those who've gone before us. What's next? Are we done? You know, we got wisdom down. Not quite. The Father then gives us another lesson, telling us to stay on the path of wisdom. To stay on the path of wisdom. Let's look look with me at verses ten through nineteen. I'm gonna. I'm going to read it in a couple sections, but as I read these first three verses, notice the imagery of way, of path, of walk, okay? The Father says, Hear my son and accept my words, that the years of your life may be many. I have taught you the way of wisdom. I have led you in the paths of uprightness. When you walk, your step will not be hampered. If you run, you will not stumble. Keep hold of instruction and do not let go. Guard her for she is your life. At this point, the father has instructed the son on the way of wisdom and uprightness. Right, and he's led him as far as he can go. It's now the son's job to hold fast to this path. I've walked with you. I gotta let you. I gotta push you out of the nest. You gotta walk this path of wisdom. What does it mean to consider wisdom as a way or path? It's used in this section of nine verses. It's used. It's used over nine times. This idea, way, of path walk run stumble it's just prolific what's what's it about the idea is really this wisdom is not just a single choice but a daily walk wisdom is not just a single choice it's not just that initial desire but it is a daily walk and and notice it's not theoretical right rather god's wisdom is found in the daily grind of practical life how to live but there are no shortcuts to this wisdom Rather, you become wise by taking the same repeated steps and actions time and time again, the slow plod of the daily walk. This is what it means for wisdom to be a path. You must want it day after day after day after day. It's it's really what makes wisdom hard. And, and it critiques kind of the culture of our day, what we what we want, what we desire. We want a technique or a hack to get ahead. We think we'll find wisdom in finding some, you know, technology or technique to solve our problems. In, in The Abolition of Man, Lewis compares the wise men of old with those of today, and I think illustrates some of this issue. So hang, hang with me. He, Lewis says this. He says, for the wise men of old, they saw the chief problem, so the main problem of the world, was how to conform their soul to reality. How to conform their soul to the world? The solution to this problem was knowledge, self-discipline and virtue, wisdom. But notice the difference in what he says is the modern world of technology he says and he actually he actually likens this to akin to magic. For they see the problem as how to subdue reality to the wishes of men. right for, So for the men of old, the problem was how to conform our lives to the good world that God had created. And he's saying nowadays, for the men of technology, it's how to to take hold of reality for our own wishes. That's the difference in the problem. And so the solution solution then is a technique. If you want to take control, you need the right technique. You need the right technology, whatever you want to call it. Because nowadays we want a quick fix, a technique to take control. But wisdom is a path. Wisdom is a path. A path we walk on path we walk on not to take control of the world around us but to learn how to live in the world God has created and the place he has put you wisdom is a path it's a daily walk there's no shortcuts just the decision to put one foot in front of the other this is important because who you become is a product of the little things you do every day on this path. Who becomes a product of all these little things? The Father illustrates this in the next section by warning us about the path of the wicked. Look at verses 14 through 17. Do not enter the path of the wicked, and do not walk in the way of the wicked. Avoid it, do not go on it. Turn away from it and pass on. For they cannot sleep unless they have done wrong, they are robbed of sleep unless they have made someone stumble. For they eat the bread of wickedness and drink the wine of violence. Notice the progression in this text. Verses 14 and 15. There seems to be a choice, right? The son is told to avoid the wicked. Don't go down it. However, by verse 16 and 17, the wicked can't help but do evil. They're compared to an addict who's restless, can't sleep until he's done evil. Even worse than that, this wickedness and evil has become their very nourishment. They're bread and their wine. It's the only thing that can put them to sleep and the only thing that keeps them going. Just as Jesus said in, in John 8, 34, everyone who commits a sin is a slave to sin. Why is it so important to avoid the path of, wicked, of wickedness? Because small choices lead to big consequences that you can't get out of. I heard a pastor uh share a story about an interview he heard from a man who was in jail uh, a man talking about just kind of telling the story of his life and when this man uh when this this prisoner who was a boy his father had this beautiful watch one day as a boy he snuck in there and played to play with the watch and he dropped it and it broke well in fear he shoved it back in the drawer and, and ran away and didn't tell anyone well the father found out and he gathered the whole family together, and he's like, who did this? Who broke my watch, my beloved watch? Still, the son didn't speak because he followed his, his instinct to cover up, to cover up. Well, years later, this boy grew up, and one night he was driving his car down the road, and, and he ran over someone. And instantly, in an instant, he left. He fled the scene. He later realized what he'd done, but he was too scared to come forward. Well, the police caught him. He spent years of his life in jail. And as he's reflecting back on this and in telling this story, he says, You know, you know what fixed my destiny? It wasn't that terrible night on the road. That's not what fixed my destiny. It was all the little choices along the way, along the path of life, that made me the type of person to cover up and hide. All those little choices, all those inclinations, so that by the time I got to the road, I couldn't help myself. I didn't know anything else. Your character and wisdom are created in the path. The small, everyday choices of life. There's a well-known saying that explains this progression. Sow a thought, reap an action. Sow an action, reap a habit. Sow a habit, reap a character. Sow a character, reap a destiny. Wisdom is not just a single choice, but a daily walk. Now, you know, we can look at the wicked and think, oh, I'm not trying to take advantage of anyone. Chapter 1 told us that the wicked killed people. I'm not killing anyone. I'm not being wicked. But you see, Proverbs is warning us about a path, a road to not swerve onto because of where it leads. Small steps lead to major consequences. What are these small steps off the path? Well, according to what we've already read, just just returning to what we've already read, chapters one, chapter three, it roots this addiction in our own self-absorption, right? That inclination that seeks to to hide rather than to to, to take ownership. I mean, every time you feel the need to bring others down to prop yourself up, you flirt with walking the path of the wicked when you receive a gift or a good thing and you, uh, you despise it, you take it for granted, or maybe you feel like you know, you're entitled to much more, when you compare yourself to others and what they have, when you just go your own way without considering the effect on others, seeking counsel from others, or even seeking counsel from God, you're flirting with this path of the wicked. Where does it lead? Look at verse 19. Verse 19. The way of the wicked leads to deeper and deeper darkness. Again, a progression. Each little step makes it harder and harder to see clearly. It gets so dark, they they don't even know. They don't even know over what they're stumbling. Right? I mean, this is the opposite of wisdom. This is unwisdom. The further you go down the path of wickedness, the harder it is to even see what's wrong in the first place. I mean, have you ever thought Have you ever seen people and thought, gosh, do they not see what they're doing? Do they not see this? Do they not understand what's happening? No, they don't. Because as you walk this path, things get darker and darker, and it becomes less and less easy to see the light, the truth. Now, rather than leading to ever-increasing darkness, verse 18 tells us, the path of righteous is like the light of dawn, which shines brighter and brighter until full day. Again, the progression here as well. Walking in wisdom doesn't mean you have everything figured out. All right? It doesn't mean you have everything figured out. But you seek the right path day after day, and in doing so, you grow in wisdom. You grow day by day, shining brighter and brighter. Things get clearer and clearer you experience more and more peace and assurance such that you shine yourself like a beacon toward God who created all. For this kind of light only comes from the sun, the one who is the light of life himself. And it's the light in which we seek to walk that guides our path that we reflect to the world. So, we need to make a choice about wisdom. We need to stay on the path. But how do you stay on the path? How do you stay on the path? Let's turn to the third lesson, the anatomy of a wise life, verses 20 through 27. Here, the Father gives us an anatomy lesson about staying on the path of wisdom. And as I read verses 20 through 27, notice all the body imagery. It's, a, it's an anatomy lesson for how we can stay on the path of Wisdom. And it's, it's not just an intellectual pursuit, but it will require our whole being. The Father says, My son, be attentive to my words. Incline your ear to my sayings. Let them not escape from your sight. Keep them within your heart for they are life to those who find them and healing to their flesh. Keep your heart with all vigilance for from it flow the springs of life. Put away from you crooked speech and put devious talk far from you. Let your eyes look directly forward and your gaze be straight before you. Ponder the path of your feet, then all your ways will be sure. Do not swerve to the right or the left. Turn your foot away from evil. How do you stay on the path of wisdom? Bring all your being into submission to wisdom. Bring all of who you are, all your being into submission to it. And a central concern is verse 23, right in the middle of this lesson. Keep your heart with all vigilance. I grew up memorizing the, uh, the different version. Above all else, guard your heart, for it is the wellspring of life. Above all else. And, and I think this, this translation actually gets better at the imagery that's going on. I mean, we're supposed to imagine a busy person guarding lots of things. Animals, crops, property, the city gates, even his even family members, guarding. All these things are important and need guarding for our livelihood but he says more than all these watch over your heart more than anything else you're guarding you're watching over guard your heart everything in this lesson flows into this and flows out of it if you remember from chapter 3 the heart isn't just the place of emotions but also of our desires and our attitudes it's where we trust Proverbs 3, 5 tells us, trust in the Lord with all your heart and lean not on your own understanding. And I have to think, this is what we're guarding in chapter 4. We must keep God at the center of our heart's desire to love and trust God above everything else. And when we trust Jesus with our hearts, from it will flow life. John 7, 38, Jesus says, whoever believes in him, Out of his heart will flow springs of living water. I mean, he's drawing on this idea. We must guard our hearts and our trust in Jesus because only through Jesus can we know true life. A life that is good, a life that is eternal, a life that is wise. For whatever your heart loves and trusts most will spin out everything else in your life. If you love God as the ultimate thing in your life, and from it will flow life. We'll fl- yeah, will flow life. But when you make other things, even good things, the ultimate thing, it can lead to ruin. So how do you guard your heart? The passage hints that while our heart is the central control, our ears and our eyes and our speech and our feet can influence our heart. We need to bring all our being in submission to wisdom. Do you uh, you remember that little kid's song? um, Be careful, little eyes, what you see. careful, little eyes, what you see. Because our Father up above is looking down in love. Be careful, little eyes. And it goes through all the body parts, right? Um, Maybe you guys can sing it this afternoon as a family. But this this lesson is kind of like that. This lesson is kind of like that children's song. If we want to guard our heart, we need to consider each of these areas and how they are shaping our heart's affection. So let's think through them. I mean, consider what you hear. Who are you listening, who you are listening to is one of the fundamental points in all of Proverbs. So first and foremost, are you listening to Scripture regularly? The wisdom of God passed down to us. It will shape how you see the world. It will show you what to value and what to not value. It will guide your feet and guard your path. But what else are you hearing? The the comment the slide co- snide comments from those around you that seep into your heart that make you think you're not good enough, not worthy, that you're worthless. What about the news you consume? Hey, do you do you listen to the news most of the day? Hey, it doesn't really matter which news news station or whatever uh, you want to think about. I mean it's good to know what's going on. We we need that. To be people who live practically in the world, we need to know what's going on. But each news story has an agenda and it is shaping your opinion of the world. It's shaping the affections of your heart. And oftentimes when we're not careful, it can cause us to believe that certain things of the world are more important than God Himself. What you hear is shaping your heart. Next, think about what you see. A lot of similarities with hearing, right? These are both sort of receptive faculties. But but consider the sort of media that you're consuming, or social media. I mean, image after image, showing you what life is like for someone else. Stirring in our heart a restlessness, comparison, shaping the desires of our hearts, turning us from gratitude to envy. Constantly turning us from gratitude to envy with every image, with every scroll. I'm not saying don't have social media, but rather be attentive to the amount of time spent on it and attentive and reflexive on how it's shaping the desires of your heart. What about the things you say? I mean, friends, we are called to be a people who love truth. We are told to get rid of devious talk and crooked speech. When you speak, are you promoting truth or not? When you speak, are you trying to build others up or tear them down? When you speak, do you let little lies slip in there? Because you know it will help you get what you want. On top of that, is your speech kind or is it overbearing and harsh? Ultimately destructive. What you say both comes out of your heart, a reflection of it, and shapes it. Lastly, what about your feet and your hands? Are you helping people? Are you helping people with your work or just yourself? Are your hands and your feet idle, loving laziness, or diligent in work? We're going to get to that again in chapter 6. Friends, if we want to stay on the path of wisdom above all else, we must guard our hearts to love God and God alone We've got to watch what we hear, what we see, what we say, what we do. It's critical to a life of wisdom. It's the building blocks, the anatomy of a wise life. Tin this morning, I want to copy a practice from uh, Pastor Ray Ortland, who asks us, so this is the participation time in service, or of one of many. But if you're right-handed, stick out your right hand in front of you. If you're left-handed, stick out your left hand in front of you. Just stick it in front of you and just look at it, all right? It's beautiful, right? You do a lot of good and a lot of bad with that hand, don't you? A lot of good and a lot of bad. But now dedicate that to Christ. Dedicate that hand to Christ. He can make you wise and skillful with that hand. In fact, Jesus died... For that hand in front of you. Not just the sins that you've committed with it. Jesus shed his blood to redeem your hand, as odd as it may sound, to redeem your hand to make you wise in carrying out righteousness for the ultimate glory of God. And one day, one day, if you are in Christ, your hand will be transformed, brand new. Your hand will never feel pain, it will no longer be able to sin. Your hand will one day know what it's like to hold the hand of Christ. In fact, one day, if you are in Christ, all of you, all of your body will be transformed. Transformed after the likeness of Christ himself. You will be set free from the path of wickedness, the bondage of sin and corruption to obtain the freedom of glory. We must work to guard our hearts, but at the end of the day, friends, it is Christ, the Good Shepherd, Who will one day fully liberate us from the path of evil but even while we wait for that glorious day we know now that the bonds have already been broken christ has already set us free and if this is the case how could you give yourself over to the path of wickedness now it's not your path that darkness is not your destiny It's not the end of your story for Christ has redeemed you and will have the final say. So don't follow that path now. So will you devote your hand and your eyes and your mind and your speech and your actions, everything that you are, will you devote it to Christ and his wisdom? If you keep your heart with all vigilance, Christ will fill you with the springs of life. With a heart and with a heart filled with Christ, you will not lose your way. Please pray with me. Father, may we stay on the path of wisdom. May your word and spirit guide our hearts and direct our paths that we may delight in your instruction and in your life. Lord, we give you our lives, our ears, our eyes, our speech, our feet. May they be used for your service, and may they do the work of guarding our hearts so that our desire and our affection will be for you and you alone. In Christ I pray, amen.